0: Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of My Old Kentucky Podcast. My name is Robert Connie, and joining me this week is Letitia Buckner. Letitia, how are you today?
1: I'm doing good. How
0: are you? I'm doing well. Uh, Letitia is filling in for Jasmine, who is out today, and it is quite a week to fill in. It was the the last day of the legislature uh, that they met before the veto period started, so we have a ton of bills to talk about. Uh, When you agreed to do this... Letitia, did you realize that this was going to be what what you signed on for?
1: I did not, but uh, (laughs) I saw saw the date and I was like, man, I bet we're going to have a... Interesting
0: show, so. <laughs> and that we do. That we do. So we are gonna. That's gonna be the bulk of the show is just talking about all the bills that the legislature heard at the end of the session. Uh, but at the end of this show, uh, I did an interview with Jameson Cable, the host of the Kentucky History podcast. So be sure to check that out. Uh, that's a great show. Uh, and Kentucky history is something that uh, you know, obviously, I care a lot about, and I think it's really important. And I think their show is really good. So you know, check around, uh, stick around, listen to that, uh, listen to my uh, interview with. With Jameson. Uh, But before we talk about that, or before we we get to that, let's talk about the legislature. So, all right. I I titled this show, This Week in the Legislature, A Deluge of Crap. So, uh, yeah, like we mentioned, Tuesday was the final day that the legislature could pass bills before the veto period which means that anything that the GOP caucus really wanted to get across the finish line had to be done in order to give them the chance to override Governor Beshear's potential veto. And, it, you know, there was a ton left on the agenda this week. Uh, Letitia, I want you to guess how many bills were passed in the past two days. Uh,
1: over 100?
0: It was over 100. It was like 120, 110. Okay. Uh, and then I want you to, uh, another guess, how many bills were passed before that? 40 was like eight, eight or nine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of how it works. Uh, let me make sure I got that. I don't, well, I, I just did a, I did a quick count, uh, on my scrape and I think five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, uh, 10 before the end of last week. And then they were sixty-eight and fifty-two in the last two days, and then they were twenty-five and seventeen at the end of last week. So, before the the last you know week of the legislature meeting, they passed like ten or twelve bills, and and in the last two days they passed more than a hundred. So, so that's what we're looking at <laughs> this week. Uh, yeah, and and you know uh, they they had a lot to get to that they obviously did a lot, but. You know, they only had until midnight yesterday. And I did want to tell one quick story before we get into the actual Bill's but you know they only had it till midnight, and the last one of the last bills that they talked about was was this bill called SB two seventy four, which is a bill that gave Corbin, uh, which is a city down in southeastern Kentucky, uh, the ability to annex land in Laurel County. And Laurel County's seat is London, and, and some people in London were kind of mad about this. And, and this entire fight was one among Republicans because even back when Kentucky was like a strongly Democratic state, that part of the state was very Republican, and that's where a lot of the Republicans leaders come from because they're the ones that have been in the legislature the longest so basically republicans were fighting with republicans about a bill about corbin and london and the last hour of the legislative session where they had to like cram everything in so that the democratic governor didn't veto everything so that's a little it's a little ridiculous so uh, I'm, I'm assuming no but but Letitia, do you have any takes on on corbin and 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 london no i don't
1: <laughs> <It's like> that <laughs> this, this bill is very interesting in terms of like trying to nix uh you know a county in a, in a, a bill yeah um, with proper representation so i think that's it's, interesting
0: it is an interesting topic i don't know if it's it, it, maybe they should have dealt with it like the third week of the legislature probably get it out of the way early get that fight out of the way early but they didn't do that very pretty area the cumberlands love the cumberlands mm-hmm. uh, lots mm-hmm. of good hiking lots of good uh outdoor stuff down there uh A really great buffet there at the University of the Cumberlands, too. I don't know if they still have it. Probably not during COVID. All right. But without any further ado, let's get into the bills. The first one I wanted to talk about was HB 563, which is the school choice bill. Jasmine and I talked about this bill last week in its unamended state. And and at the time, we said that the text of the bill existed as a start to private school vouchers, but didn't include what we commonly would call vouchers. So this bill was heard on Thursday, and things got pretty wild. The bill eventually passed the House, but not before. There were 20 floor amendments attached to it. Uh, Some of them uh, passed, but most of them failed. Most of them came from Josie Raymond, who's been on the show several times before. Uh, The most important floor amendments to this bill involved putting private school vouchers back into the bill, which were not part of the bill before. Uh, The most ambitious plan to get... You know, private school vouchers for everybody failed, but a replacement, which only allows for private schools to be funded in a few urban counties, uh, originally it was supposed to be Jefferson, Fayette, and Kenton, but then was expanded to any county with more than 20,000 people, uh, that ended up in the bill. The bill also uh, was amended to include full-day kindergarten. Like we said, Josie Raymond was involved in this bill quite a bit, and that's one of her big passions. Mm-hmm. However, in order for that part to remain in the bill, they needed 60 votes from the House. Uh, the bill itself, when it passed, did not get 60 votes. Uh, and and so that kind of spelled trouble for the full-day full kindergarten portion of the bill. So it went over to the Senate. Uh, and once it got over to the Senate, they did remove the full-day full, full day kindergarten portion, which, you know, lost a lot of support in the House. So, again, okay, so it was introduced, they added the vouchers, it passed the House, and went over to the Senate. They took full-day kindergarten out of it, it passed the Senate, and went back to the House to for a concurrence, because they had to, you know, you know, accept the Senate's changes. And because they removed full-day kindergarten, it lost a lot of votes, but the House did finally pass the bill, Forty-eight to forty-seven with one Democratic vote from Alvin Gentry, but this bill is definitely going to get vetoed, and it needs fifty-one votes uh, to override a veto. Forty-eight to forty-seven isn't going to cut it, so it's going to be tough w- once the governor vetoes this for the Republicans to get this across the finish line. So, uh, Tish, I mean, uh, you know, we talk about like the politics of it, but but from like a from like a, a perspective of where you're where you're coming from, like, what do you think about school vouchers, and what do you think about the Republicans trying to get like? School vouchers for urban schools at the expense of rural areas.
1: Um. Well, my mom is a public school teacher. Um. She's she teaches in Jefferson County. I'm not understanding the compromising of taking away. You know, the full day of kindergarten, in terms of funding private vouchers for these big urban counties such as Jefferson, Fayette, and so and so and so forth. So I'm not really understanding the context of that. Um. Is it a bit? Ben- I'm seeing it as a benefit more so than it being, you know, this, I guess, I don't know, not bipartisan, but something that would work for both sides. So that's, how I see it. it one side benefits
0: the other. So. It, it's so confusing, right? So you have on one hand, like the full day kindergarten, which is basically supported by everybody. And if it was its standalo- own standalone bill, I think we'd get the support of you know, 80, 90 members in, in the House. But they attached it to this unpopular bill involving vouchers uh, trying, to, and that did manage to get it to pass the House originally. But you know because it's an odd numbered year that's that's the key here because it's an odd numbered year a 30 day session in order to pass something that includes a revenue proposition it needs 60 votes at the house so it never got 60 votes in the house even once it passed originally so the senate basically had to take that out for like just legislative reasons. So when they moved mm-hmm. it back over, it didn't have enough votes uh, to pass with, with 60 votes or even with 50 votes. So mm-hmm. so the political side gets really confusing, but it is kind of funny to me. So you have these urban school vouchers that are basically put in place from rural legislators. Like None of the urban mm-hmm. legislators even supported the voucher piece at all. Still don't support the voucher piece, but it's basically legislating vouchers into urban areas at the expense of, of rural areas. So like rural areas don't have access to these vouchers, but they're going to have to pay for them because they're taxpayers in, in Republic or in, in rural areas. So basically the taxes are being paid by rural folks to fund vouchers that urban people don't even want. So it's just kind of, it's a ridiculous situation for sure. And
1: it's like, who really benefits because the rural counties don't because (laughs) so.
0: Yeah. I either the people who benefit are basically, uh, Republican politicians who depend on money from voucher industry mm-hmm. to, to you know get reelected. So mm-hmm. I think that's that's where we're at with that. Ugh. Anything else to add about vouchers? No. All right. Yeah, good. No more about vouchers. Uh, I, I think that this one's prob that one's probably dead though. I mean it'll be interesting, it'll probably yeah. be dramatic, but that's my prediction as of right now. We'll see what happens. All right. The next thing I wanted to talk about is SB two eleven, which is, you know, the mm-hmm. bill that criminalizes police insults and other things. Uh, of course, that's what the bill is famous for, making it a crime to insult police officers. But last week, Jasmine went in-depth about all the other things that this bill does. And basically, they're all really bad. A lot of mandatory minimum stuff. Uh, you know, if you only know about this bill because of the criminalizing police insults, that's thats not even the worst part of it. Well, <laughs> it probably is the worst part of it. But there's other really bad things in there, too. And you should go back and listen to that show. Listen to Jasmine break it down. Unsurprisingly, this bill did pass the Senate, but opposition was really fierce. Both Senator Thomas and Senator Neal, which are the two black senators representing Lexington and Louisville, they attacked this bill in really strong terms. Senator Carroll, who represents Paducah, continued referencing protests in Louisville as his justification for the bill, even saying, quote, If Mayor Fisher won't step up to protect Louisville's officers and property from rioters, the legislature will, unquote, which was pretty gross. The bill did pass the Senate, but not without six Republicans joining Democrats to oppose it. I went over to the house and I did want to mention this just because it didn't even get brought up in the house. I I think this bill got to be the the, the point where it's pretty toxic. It didn't even get assigned to a committee in the house. They didn't even touch it. You know, this bill made a lot of news rightfully so because it would have been really bad if it had passed, but it is good to know that, uh, that controversy did probably matter because it meant that the house was like, nah, we're good here. Uh, we're not going to take it up. Um, so, Letitia, what what did you think about this bill as it was making news? And and I mean, obviously, you are going to be glad it didn't pass the House. But, or do you agree with me that these the outcry about this bill meant that it didn't end up going any further in the House?
1: Yes, and also it's like it's unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you what's a, what qualifies as an insult to all police officer <laughs> yeah. in terms of my free speech? So it kind of balances on the, the question of. Constitutionality, like is that it's the bill
0: itself does not it's unconstitutional so Mm -hmm. yeah very it very clear it was unconstitutional uh and i think that's one of the reasons like we don't we don't want that smoke is what the house said uh that's that (laughs) we don't want to we got other things we got other things to deal with we they had a lot more that they needed to deal with they this was not on on the agenda all right moving on uh to hb 312 Uh, which is the bill about open records, kind of gutting the process for open records in Kentucky. So last time that we talked about this bill was two weeks ago. It was amended since then to loosen the residency requirement. That, to me, was the most egregious part. In order to file an open records request, you had to be a resident of Kentucky. And that was amended to allow news organizations and people that own property in Kentucky to file ORRs. So still not great. Uh, It's really not great that people who are not working for news organizations... And people that don't own property in Kentucky to, to be able to dig into things and using open records request and really nothing really else in the bill was changed. Our friends over at the Kentucky Open Government Coalition were still deeply opposed to the bill. They managed to find sixty organizations who opposed it. Uh, we talked about how you know a lot of the press groups in Kentucky were not really able to oppose it because they were being a, a lot of other issues were kind of being held over them. Um, but they did. The Kentucky Open Government Coalition were able to find sixty organizations who opposed it. But it, it did pass. Uh, it's on Governor Bashir's desk. I think that this is highly likely to be vetoed, and it would be very interesting to see if it manages to have a veto override. I think it probably will. Uh, Letitia, have you ever filed an open records request? I have not. Yeah, it's it's a fun process. One of the things that the bill does do, which I I don't think necessarily is a bad idea, was that it makes like a universal form. They try to make mm-hmm. that form mandatory, but I think what the what the bill actually ended up doing was making it like the suggested form. I will say mm-hmm. it is a little weird, like filing one and just being like, "Can you send me this stuff?" and like that counting as a legal document. So having a form would be nice, I think. Uh, right. But but yeah, this is a I think that this is a bad bill. I mean, you think about things like. People who work for, you know, organizations that are interested in, you know, campaign finance or something like that, that doesn't qualify as a news organization. Nonprofits, uh, they don't qualify as a news organization. They'd have to, like, buy property in Kentucky to be able to file open records requests, and, and that's bad. Um Right. And, you know, there's been a lot of stuff that's happened in Kentucky, given uh, open records uh, because of open records over the past year. There's a lot of reporting and, and the Breonna Taylor killing uh, that wouldn't have happened without the open records uh, law being the way that it is. And and clearly, you know, news organizations are going to be able to continue to do this, even uh, if it does becoming law. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's where we're at with the open records request or uh, open records situation with HB 312. OK, uh, HB 542 this one this one is absolutely wild uh, I, nothing in this bill is really all that bad but this is just a crazy story so this bill gives approval to the governor's use of executive orders around weather emergencies that happened in January and February you might have remembered like there was a big ice did you get any ice at your house Leticia
1: I did and lots of rain too yeah so.
0: you got the yeah so the the ice was the first thing, and then we had, mm-hmm. yeah, then yeah. we had the flooding and a lot of other places in yeah. Kentucky too. So, mm-hmm. so that was bad, and yeah, the governor, you know, declared an emergency and had some, uh, uh, you know, executive powers that he took into effect. So, yeah, the text of this bill is uncontroversial, but the entire bill from introduction to passage was done in one single day. Bills are supposed to be read three times. It's supposed to take like up to six days to pass a bill. But the legislature dispensed with the other two readings in each house and then passed the bill. Senator Wheeler, who's a Republican from Pike County, said, quote, the legislature can delineate emergency powers quickly and efficiently under our rules, unquote. The bill is mostly, I think, a commentary about Governor Bashir and COVID. And basically a lot of the arguments that Governor Bashir was making about his executive orders was like we're able to work more quickly than the legislature, and that's why we need to be able to have these emergency powers. And the Republicans and the legislatures are like, Well, we can work quickly too. The Supreme Court ruled a few years ago that bills did, in fact, need to be read three times. That's in the mm-hmm. Constitution of Kentucky. Uh, speaking of unconstitutionality, that's that's one of the reasons they overturned the the pension sewer bill. You remember exactly. that one? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Remember that one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So this was like a weird power play by the legislature, and and I don't think that there's really anything that can be challenged in this bill in a court of law. Uh, but if it were able to be challenged, I don't think it would. The courts would let it, you know, hold up. Uh, the Republicans disagree and say that this is the process laid out in the Bevin case. Um, and for what it's worth, Senator McGarvey said, "Quotes: just because you can do it doesn't mean that you should. Uh, so that's a Jurassic Park, I think, is what that comes from. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, Letitia, what, what do you think? Yeah,
1: didn't they file this back in... Well, if February yes. if it was such an emergency, why didn't they, you know, apply the pressure if it was such a big deal? So.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, and it clearly wasn't a big deal. It, I mean, it clearly got filed back in February. They could have gone through the normal process, but they didn't just to prove the point that they didn't, they could in in, in case of emergency. But like, that's not legal, right? So mm-hmm. so their right. their overall point is kind of moot, right? Don't you think?
1: Yeah, I agree. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Uh, and again, I just don't think anything is going to be challenged because I don't think anybody's going to go to court to overturn the legislature approving Governor Bashir's uh, executive powers. But if it, I mean, and another thing that this kind of is a little worrying about is, you know, it's become kind of popular at the beginning of legislative sessions at the beginning of the year for Republicans to, you know, uh, basically pass bills before the the break that's mandated in the Constitution. Um, mm-hmm. basically just to get uh, get stuff off their plate quickly. Like I mentioned, you know, in the speed of bills, six bills passed in the first week. Mm-hmm. And now they could pass in the first day. Um, and that's not the process that was laid out. A lot of those bills are, are things that Republicans really want, but also kind of want to prevent a, a robust debate around things like issues like hot button issues like abortion um, things about like right to work was passed in like six days. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that would be bad if they could do that in, in one day. I don't right. think that that's, that's how the legislature should work. Uh, but apparently it can work that way. All right. Anything else about this weird weather bill?
1: Nope. All right. Said it all.
0: all right. Moving right along HB 258. Uh, this was the bill around teachers retirement. We, we talked about that, uh, quite a bit uh in a previous show actually all the way back before the the session started when we talked about how you know the the sponsor of this bill ed massey worked to get uh you know kea and jcta into the room to talk about it uh and to kind of agree to changes before uh jumping into doing these changes which is something they hadn't done in previous sessions so this bill got heard in the Senate. It was uh, they they did have some amendments. The it, they raised the retirement age of teachers from fifty five to fifty seven. For basically no reason, just to be mean, I think. Uh, Damon Thayer had a lot to say about this bill, basically threatening that a lot more would be done to reduce teacher pensions. Uh, I don't know if he's right or wrong. He's in leadership, but he clearly has been trying to do this for years and has been unsuccessful. Ed Massey was actually able to get people to the table uh, and get people to talk about it, and that's the reason why this was able to go through without much uh, to be said. It did pass on the last day of the session after the House concurred with the Senate changes, but a lot of Democrats were really upset about it so this one was kind of interesting tish so uh the the teachers on yeah the the some of the teachers uh kea and jcta kea ended up being like kind of neutral but jcta said they supported it and that's kind of because they they were brought to the table and i think basically what they were told is if you don't support this bill we're going to do a lot more worse things to you uh so i mean what do you think in the end i think a lot of these changes uh, i don't know if you know the details but they're they're not good but it they could be a lot worse uh what do you think about the ways that the teacher groups and the legislature are interacting these days
1: well I'm I'm just kind of in the unknown about why they raised the the age for two years mm-hmm. like is there a difference between 55 and 57 because my mom retires in like four well supposedly tires in four years um so it's like is there a reason why they wanted to to wait raise the age And also, like, if they disagree, like, what, okay, what does that look like in terms of it's going to be a lot worse Mm -hmm. for y'all? So I'm not... Yeah, I'm unsure, I'm unsure about that language in context.
0: Yeah, by raising the retirement age, obviously you don't have to start paying out benefits. So that's like two years that you're not paying benefits for people. So that saves money for the system, but it also means that it is money that isn't going into people's pockets. It's basically right. money that stays with the state instead of going to people. Um, I, I do know that like the K E A, who was very vocally neutral. On this, uh, they they weren't opposed to it in a big way. Like they had been for teacher pension changes in the past. Um, mm-hmm. Again, you know, there was a lot of work done by Ed Massey to bring these people to the table to come up with changes that they could all kind of like agree with. But the KEA person, when the Senate said we're just going to raise the retirement age, was was basically like this is unnecessary and wasn't. It was very clearly like not part of the negotiations that they had with with Representative Massey. So I think it was mostly just done to say, well, we can do stuff to you. I don't know. Uh, what do you think about that? Uh, another thing, Letitia, what do you think about like bringing teachers to the table to discuss uh, these kind of changes? Uh, obviously, the Republicans have more power than ever before, but teachers were right. able to stop uh, a lot right. of these changes in the past. Do you think that that was a good move, or do you think that in the end, like Republicans basically just got whatever they wanted anyway?
1: I think it was a good move in terms of we you know teachers are influential, as we saw with the 2019 election i be Matt met Bevin. So I think teachers are definitely essential in terms of influence, um, legislative influence. Um, but I feel like teachers also know policy and what's best for them. Yeah. And their students. So I think that needs to be brought more into the conversation,
0: uh, yep. mm-hmm.
1: especially when you raise someone's retirement age. Um,
0: yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. There were a lot of there were a lot of teachers and teacher advocates that were elected in 2018 that didn't win re-election in 2020, and I really hope a lot of them ended up running again in 2022. I think that, you know, that this type of bill clearly shows why having more teachers in the legislature from both parties, especially Democrats, is is really useful. <laughs> Okay, uh, HB574 that's election reform. This bill passed through the same committee as as HB258. So that was like the elections uh, committee in the Senate and that was the same committee meeting where Damon Thayer was like yelling about doing worse things to teachers. This bill makes changes to the bills uh, to reduce the number of days that the absentee portal is open. But it did let the three days of early voting stand. So that was like the original bill in the House had a long time where people could log on and say they wanted to get an absentee ballot and then had three days of early voting. The Republicans shortened the length of time that you could request an absentee ballot. Again, just to be mean, I think just because Damon Thayer is in the the committee. Um, Yeah, and, and so basically... You know, the bill passed... 33 to three and the house concurred with those changes basically just to get it off the table but it did pass in a big way uh, only three senators were opposed at all and, and this is kind of a big difference you know you talk about places like Georgia uh, other uh, you know places like Tennessee uh, other places in the south that are Republican dominated are seeing way fewer voting rights for people and this is an expansion it obviously does not go as far as the changes changes agreed to by the Secretary of State and governor Bashir are earlier this year and I wish we could have kept all of those in place but that was never going to happen with the republican legislature i am glad that they did get some stuff through so that's good mm-hmm. One weird thing about this is Senator Adrian Southworth, who is the newly elected senator from Frankfurt and surrounding areas, she made news on this bill by continuously bringing up right-wing conspiracies about Dominion and the internet-connected voting machines. She's just a very strange person. So, Letitia, what do you think? I mean, obviously, we wish this bill had been more, but I think that this was pretty good. I'm glad that they did something.
1: Considering the time we have left, I'm glad something went through. Um, But with Senator... Um, southward and her, you know, continuously bashing disinformation about voting machines is just kind of, it's very interesting.
0: Yeah, it is very interesting for sure. All right. Yeah. The next one is HB4, which is basically to let the legislature meet more. Uh, uh, you know, the, the way that the legislature meets is, is outlined in the Constitution. It says they have 60 days on even-numbered years and 30 days on odd-numbered years, and those are legislative days, not actual days, and they have to be out by a certain date. It's April 30th on uh, even-numbered years and March 31st on odd-numbered years. Uh, HB4 basically would let the legislature meet more. Uh, without the approval of the governor, the governor is the only person that can call a special session. We talked about this one a little bit at the very beginning of the session, but we hadn't talked about it since then. In the end, the bill did pass, and it allows the legislature to meet for up to 12 days post-signee die, which means like in odd-numbered years like this one, they have to adjourn signy die uh, 30 legislative days by March 31st if this bill is approved by voters, they would have then 12 days additionally in the rest of the year to meet. Uh, This is a constitutional amendment. Like I said, uh, this process is laid out in the Constitution. uh, And so this is going to have to be on the ballot in 2022, if we have to, you know, if we end up having it. So, Letitia, what do you think about having the legislature meet even more often?
1: Well, wouldn't this cost more for taxpayers?
0: Yeah, it does like, cost money to have the legislature meet. Yeah.
1: Isn't it like sixty thousand dollars per session or I could be wrong about that number, but yeah. it's like it's pretty hefty. Like so I feel like that would be more money mm-hmm. at a few, you know.
0: Yeah. So I mean I'm generally in favor of like I think the legislative branches and like all governments should be like more powerful than the executive branches just because like mm-hmm. they're they're supposed to be bigger and more diverse mm-hmm. but in Kentucky the legislative branch is not really done a lot of great stuff for us. And I think a lot of that, a lot of that has to do with the fact that we, we refuse to professionalize our legislature. We basically make it so that the only people who can afford to run are like rich people or retired people or people that own their own business or people who are lawyers. Um, and that leads us to have a, a, a legislature that doesn't necessarily represent, uh, our state. Um, and so, you know, because of those facts, having the legislature meet even more often, I don't think is a good idea. I think that if we were to make some other changes in addition to uh, having them meet more, that would be good. But this is just another example of the legislature trying to take power from the governor. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, uh, yeah. And the cost, of course, is a huge issue as well. Um, But, you know, especially with our refusal to, you know, increase our revenue. All right. Moving on, uh, SB4, that's Robert Stivers' no-knocks bill. This is not Brianna's Law. This is the no-knock bill that that Robert Stivers introduced instead. Uh, We talked about that at length uh, again a couple of weeks ago. There were two floor amendments that were offered by House members, which would basically take the teeth out of this bill, uh, which prompted a press conference and a protest by groups by the ACLU, KSEP, Kentucky Center for Economic Policy, and the NAACP. Uh, One floor amendment would expand when no-knocks are allowed from two Ten to midnight. Uh, it, they're not allowed after I think like eight o'clock in the bill that's been written now. And also, uh, the the floor amendment would expand who's allowed to approve an onoc warrant to include the attorney general. Before it, it was just the county or Commonwealth attorneys, which are people who would be elected by county voters like jefferson county voters for instance and basically that approval to the attorney general as well uh and uh also expand who can execute a no-knock warrant to essentially like any police officer uh, as it is written people with special training like swat teams are the only people who would have been able to under the original sb4 so these are some floor amendments uh that were proposed Another floor amendment expands which alleged crimes can lead to a no-knock warrant to any Class B or C felonies. Right now, it is a very, very small class of uh, felonies that would have been allowed under the original SB4 uh, to to have no knocks. So again, this never was a no-knock ban, like Brianna mm-hmm. Taylor's like Brianna's bill was. Uh, this is no-knock reform which would still allow it in a few cases. And these two floor amendments would basically mean uh, back to the old system. Very, very few teeth left in our no-knock ban. Uh, The two sponsors of the floor amendments are are Kentucky State uh, employees, and they're both from outside Jefferson County, which is something to be noted here. But uh, these changes were basically left aside Um, for the post veto period Uh, i think that this one was just a little bit too much to get to before that and it was way too controversial i think that the the republicans do want to get this one through um, but we're not ready to have that fight without uh any more. so uh leticia i i am interested in in your your thoughts here uh you know this is obviously a bill which does something about no-knock warrants it's not brianna's law They're even trying to have it do less for no knocks with these two two floor amendments. So, so what are you thinking about SB four right now? Do you think that they should approve it, or should they uh, just uh, obviously Brianna's law would be the best case? um, But if we can't have that, is this good? And is this uh, you know are we okay to live with this? Or I mean, do you think they should just leave it, let it be? If you're not going to have Brianna's law,
1: me personally, I would like more amendments to be added. Um, but I do understand the urgency of this bill. Um, but also we have people who sponsor this bill, um, that particularly have, um, said things about Louisville that aren't from Louisville, um, Mm -hmm. in terms of no knocks and protesting and things like that. So I just think we need to have more conversation on the actual, or how we can implement things from Brianna's law or past Brianna's law. Mm -hmm. Um, or add amendments to
0: this uh, SB4. So, Yeah, it's such a complicated situation. You know, we talked a lot about harm reduction and about how like having something is better than having nothing, even though like something uh, isn't what we want. Um, and, and maybe that's not the best way to go about it, because like, you know, obviously they just want to do less and less and less. And they're cutting the teeth out of this even further uh, and it, it would be kind of like detrimental to even say that they did anything if they added these two floor amendments, which basically take all the teeth out of the law. I don't know. Um, I, I, there's still a couple of days left in the, the session. The veto period after the veto period's over. They can do something with it. And this is obviously something that we're going to be tracking really closely. Um, but, yeah, that's where that's where SB4 sits right now. All right, HB 178, that is the reorganization of the state school board. Um, this bill reorganizes the state board of education to mask the partisan makeup of the state, obviously in reaction to Governor Bashir's reorganization of the state school board when he put basically all Democrats on the state school board after Matt Bevan had reorganized it to get, like, voucher people and... Uh, you know, uh, we we talked a lot about that in previous years. That That's a whole controversy that we'll not get into right now. Basically, the Senate wanted to remove the student and teacher member of this board that Governor Bashir had added last year. Senator Wilson, who is a Republican from Warren County, Bowling Green, said that students' minds, quote, weren't fully formed. Or, I, I don't know, that's maybe not a direct quote, it was something... Kind of ridiculous like that. The House, though, did not agree to the concurrence of removing the student and teacher member, and the bill ended up going to a conference committee. Uh, you know, the conference committee is where the House and Senate kind of hash out differences, come to a conclusion, and then it gets voted on in, e- in each individual chamber. They did come to a compromise. Uh, the compromise would say that the teacher and student would rotate between the con- congressional districts and would only serve a single year. So after it came out of the conference committee, it did pass the Senate, but then the House didn't get to it. So basically, this bill isn't passed, and if they bring it up after the veto period, they can pass it. But the governor can then veto it without them having it being be able to being able to do anything about it. So this one was kind of interesting. I, I mean, Letitia, you kind of understand why having a student and a teacher on the school right. board would be important, right?
1: Yeah, but I thought something passed where they didn't allow the removal of the student representation on the school board. Yeah. Is that
0: correct. Okay. So so right. So the Senate said we don't want that. The House said, okay. no, you have to have that or else we're not going to go along with it. Right. And then and then it went to that conference committee. And in the conference committee, they allowed there to be a student and a teacher, but it had to rotate between the Congress. There was like a whole
1: set oh, of rules.
0: Whole- oh, okay. Yeah, And then it had to go back to the individual chambers and be voted on it. But the House didn't get to it. Right. So, I mean, okay. Okay, here's here's a question for you. All right. Obviously, the, the Republicans want to reorganize the school board to make sure that the school board has the partisan makeup of the state. They're going to pass something like that eventually. But Governor Bashir will have the ability to veto this this year. Do you think he should or do you think he should live with this compromise that's in the bill now? He should veto this. I agree. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Stick it to him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, it's very clear that they like uh, aren't very good at legislating and maybe would just like leave it off to the oh, very yeah. end of the session again. So. I don't I mean, know. I,
1: yeah. He should definitely know this because
0: this is, yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of ridiculous that this all stems from a few senators who think that students can't be trusted to be on the school board. So there you go. Uh, trust young people. That's what I have to say. All right. Uh We haven't talked about this much yet, but the budget also was due this year, and oh my goodness, they did in fact leave it to the very end of the session to get to the freaking budget, which is a huge deal. All right, so there's several bills that make up the state budget, HB 249, HB 192, 194, others. The revenue fortune of the budget restricts significantly what Governor Bashir can do with the $2.6 billion that the state is going to receive as part of the American Recovery Act. It also doesn't appropriate that money in any particular way. The money is allowed to be spent on water, sewer, or broadband infrastructure projects and nothing else. That's what it says in the, the bill that the, the House and the legislature sent to the governor. This may lead to a special session where the governor can ask the legislature what, uh, where to appropriate the money, or you know, he can just spend it all on better internet for everybody. Or they can come to some sort of compromise in, uh, in the interim, where they have some sort of appropriation that comes out of that uh, during the veto period. The governor said that he wanted to work on a plan, uh, but you know we will see what happens with that. The GOP removed additional education funding uh, and the 1% raise for st- uh, state employees in Governor Bashir's budget that he in- introduced at the very beginning of the year. And the GOP added the film tax credit back into the budget. Kentucky's original film tax credit was a pet project of Jane Bashir, and film tax credits are pretty popular across the country. They've been very successful in places like Georgia. Uh, Letitia, what do you think about Marvel movies?
1: I love Marvel movies.
0: Me too. Those are all filmed in Georgia in this crazy Yay. huge complex. Yeah, and that all came because Georgia had a very nice tax credit that enticed uh, Disney to build that complex there. So that was, you know, uh, an example of a successful film tax credit. Kentucky's film tax credit has not been as successful. In fact, it hasn't been successful at all. And there's been a lot of stuff written recently about how it wasn't. It isn't a good idea. But the GOP does want to try again. This is bad, though, because the film tax credit might run afoul of the rules set forth by the Federal American Recovery Act and might have to all be paid back. That would be really, really bad. But the regulations around that haven't been written yet, and the Republicans have said that they've looked into it and they don't think that this is going to happen. But it's definitely something that looms out there as a potential problem if we pass this film tax credit. The budget also includes a $30 million tax credit to renovate a single hotel, uh, I think that we had a confirmation today from Chris Otts of WDRB that the hotel is the sealbach um, in Louisville That is a lot of money 30 million dollars that could be appropriated to anything else again, um, the Republicans cut a lot of uh, education funding that was in Governor Bashir's budget out of the out of it so. And you know, one percent raises like you know, thirty million bucks could go a long way. I don't think it would cover all of it, but that would go a long way to getting those one percent raises for people. Um, but instead, we're spending it to renovate the Sealbok. You ever stayed in the Sealback?
1: No, I've been there. I've never stayed there. Very pop, a very popular uh, reference in the nineteen twenties with the Great Gatsby.
0: Yeah, yeah. My sister actually got married in the basement there uh okay yeah yeah, it,
1: like a, yeah okay
0: the wrath rathskeller i think is what it is anyways it was nice really nice spot i don't know it doesn't need to be renovated i think it's really pretty as it is but yeah. obviously the hedge fund in ohio that owns the seal thinks it does need a 30 million dollar tax break <laughs> so there you go um the the gop also added a lot of money $743 million into the rainy day fund. So this, this was money that Governor Bashir wanted to use to do capital projects, improvements to roads, improvements to broadband, improvements to, to schools. Instead, we're just putting it in our savings account. Um, my friend, the friend of the show, Ben Carter, um, he, he said uh, that for a lot of Kentuckians, it's been raining for a long time already. I agree with that completely and I think that spending it on capital projects instead of, you know, just socking it away into our savings account is the best thing to do. Uh, and lastly, the legislator totally punted on the transportation budget. They ran out of time and that's going to be have to that's going to have to be done after the veto period. So, Tish, a lot of stuff there about the budget. What do you think was the very worst part?
1: Uh, that Governor Bashir wouldn't be able to use the funds from the American rescue plan, like so much can be done. Um, I mean, we're in such a pivotal time and like, you know, getting like getting this, getting these funds. is just, you know, we can do a lot in the state and then just to have the GOP uh, legislators say, no, yeah, you can't do that. Uh, Said a lot about them, I think. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. I mean, in the governor and the legislature have had very, very difficult time working together right. this year. That's been well publicized, but, Okay, so the governor has a few options. He could try to work with. He already said he wants to try to work with the Republicans to get something done during this two-week veto period uh, and get something out there. The other thing he could do is just spend it all on the things that he said that they could spend them on, like the water, sewer, and broadband. Um, Or uh, he could just like leave it be. Uh, What What do you think is the option that he should take? I guess work with work with the Republicans. Yeah. Or at least see, give him a chance, right? Give them, give them a chance. Yeah, He's done yet. I mean, obviously we've seen that. So yeah. 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 All right. Well, yeah, that I, I totally agree with you. I think that that is by far the worst part of it, but there's a lot of other bad stuff in there also. So <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, th- those were all like kind of the bigger pieces. Uh, what are we at now? We're at like 40 minutes. Uh, I did have a lot of other things. I just kind of want to mention. So I'm just going to read these down and, and t- you can stop me if you have something to say all right HJR 77 that puts uh, Andy Bashir's emergency orders in effect for 60 days Franklin Circuit Court ruled uh, that the governor and the Republicans had to work together and this was the result of that the joint resolution 77 to put the emergency orders in effect for 60 days HCR 69 that creates a commission to examine the tax rates on historical horse racing that passed 88 to 6 that's good obviously we need more taxes on historical horse racing everybody kind of agrees with that I guess except for six people HB 133 reduces the number of signatures needed to recall school tax breaks. Um, If you'll remember, Louisville courts ruled that the opponents of the JCPS tax did not have enough signatures. HB 133 is a step to making sure that they will be able to do that next time, unfortunately. SB 10. Uh, that's the Commission on Race and Access to Opportunity. That bill passed the Senate, but it didn't pass the House. So uh, that's uh, hopefully they get to that in uh, after the veto period. I know that that's something that uh, you know Senator Neal and Senator Thomas have been, have been pushing. H.B. 475, that prohibits Kentucky worker, standi- uh, worker safety standards from being higher than the federal standards. And that's a pretty gross way to go about doing things, to say that worker safety standards can't be higher. that That's part of a race to the bottom that's really crappy, especially in a state like Kentucky that has a lot of laborers that do specialized things. I think about like when the coal industry was really going, it would have been probably better for us to have stronger coal regulations uh, than the, the country as a whole. But we don't, and now it would be illegal for us to do that. Yeah. SB 228. uh, A lot of people have referred to this as the Mitch McConnell retirement plan. Uh, Yeah, that that is the one that removes the governor as the sole authority to select replacements (laughs) for U.S. Senator. Now the parties are involved in the selection, so basically if a Republican senator retires, the Republican Party has to um, basically work to help to select the replacement. It's been suggested that the purpose of this bill is to ensure that Daniel Cameron or another Republican will be selected if and when Mitch McConnell decides to retire. He's old and has six years to serve in the Senate. Maybe he doesn't want to do that. HB-405, this bill fines Andy Bashir's office $902,000 if they spend any of the stimulus money, quote, not within KRS 45.229, unquote. I don't know what that means. With I don't know what that KRS is, and I didn't look it up because I had a lot of other things to do. <laughs> Uh, in putting these notes together. It's unclear to me if this means that the governor is not, now not allowed to spend the money on broadband and sewer projects that we mentioned above. I don't think so. I think it's just basically being mean to Andy Bashir, which has been one of the themes of this legislative session. All right. HB 372, a bill which provides a $15 million tax break to companies like Amazon and Google that operate data centers. This bill also gives a $5,000 tax break to people who work from home for out-of-state companies. This bill didn't pass the House, but it might after the veto period. A lot of cities... Uh, like Louisville and, and states like Kentucky have started offering that tax rate for people who mm-hmm. work from home to try to entice you know, people who live in like, more high cost of living places like California and New York to do their work from home in a place like Louisville where they can afford a really nice house for a lot less than what they're paying to live in San Francisco or whatever. All right, HB 272 allows water districts to charge 10% in late fees. There's been a moratorium in place since the pandemic began, and this is allowing uh, water districts to, to ignore that moratorium and start charging late fees for people in the middle of a pandemic who can't pay their water bill. That's bad. That's uh, terrible. Yeah. SB8 gives students more ability to opt out of mandatory vaccines. Also very stupid. I think that this is vaccine panic from right-wing people after uh, during right. the COVID area. But, you know, it's not good to have kids who aren't vaccinated for measles exactly. in school. Like, that's bad.
1: Exactly. You yeah. have to have school, you know, yeah. vaccinations to attend school.
0: So Not anymore. Well, well Yeah, my day. Which, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Yeah. Actually, I did have a few good bills. SB okay. one, yeah, SB 126, that's the felony threshold bill. It's now $1,000 instead of $500. Still too low, in my opinion. Jasmine's talked a lot about this, but that's very good. And now we're no longer the very, very bottom of the felony threshold. HB96, that caps the out-of-pocket cost for insulin at $30 for a 30-day supply. Uh, Charles Booker was one of the main people pushing this. Charles Booker, famous, very famously, is a diabetic, a type one diabetic. Um, he worked with Danny Bentley, a Republican from uh, out where my family's from, out in you know Greenup County. Greenup County. Now that's Greenup, okay. northeastern Kentucky. Okay. Yeah. So he, uh, yeah, he. They, Danny Bentley helped carry this bill. Um, Patty Minter was also heavily involved in this. Uh, she's the state rep from Bowling Green, yeah. and that that bill passed, and that's good. I think that that's really great. The cost of insulin is criminal, uh, and now it, if you charge more than thirty dollars for a thirty-day supply, it will be criminal. Uh, so there you go uh, and the last good bill I wanted to talk about uh, so SB 32 uh, the bill does a lot of things but one of the things was it ha- it added the juvenile transfer bill as a writer um, the juvenile transfer bill prevents people who are under the age of 18 from being tried as adults in most circumstances Jasmine's talked about this bill quite a bit in the past so that is through Whitney Westerfield got that done so that is a third good bill I wanted to mention uh, all right. Those are all of the, the bills I want to talk about. T- Letitia, anything about those that you want to mention?
1: I am happy about HB96 because my sister is a diabetic, so mm-hmm. I'm happy about that. Um, and other families don't have to suffer um, yeah. the cost of insulin. Uh, yeah. The the opting out of mandatory vaccines, that's that's bizarre. But yeah.
0: It is. It is. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: um, especially we're in a pandemic, so I really don't get that. Yeah, um, yeah, and just you have you had some good deals this session.
0: Yeah, some a lot of bad ones, but a few good ones for sure. A few uh, good ones, yeah. yeah. The last thing I wanted to mention is the Impeachment Committee has come back with their final bill. Last week, we talked about the charges that were were racked up by the Impeachment Committee. Um, For the work on the Bashir case, they're charging $42,444. For the Cameron case, $7,598. And for the GoForth case, they are charging $12,457. So uh, those are probably going to get challenged in court. Uh, But yes, the amount paid is something that is a big issue. And the Impeachment Committee did say what those are going to be. Well, that was the end of the legislative session, Leticia. We're going to have two more days post-veto period, but I think most of the damage is done now. I don't think that there's any way we can say that this legislative session was good for Kentucky. It was quite bad, um, but there were a few bright spots. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. uh, Before we uh, get out of here, I do want to give at least a very quick COVID update—not the same length of one that that I've done in the past. So, COVID cases again declined this week. Um, Mm -hmm. The past month has seen a much more gradual decline than the month before, where cases really came down from a very high peak. But you know that's okay. A a lot of states are seeing numbers go up. Uh, Our numbers are still going down, and that's that's good. Um, Kentucky celebrated its one millionth vaccine this week. Letitia, what's your vaccine story? Do you have one yet? Have your, yeah, I got
1: my vaccine last week, some part of the 1 million.
0: Yeah, me too. I got mine last week. Where did you yeah. get Where did you go to get yours?
1: I went to Walgreens.
0: Walgreens in Lexington. In Lexington. Yeah. All right, very cool. Yeah, yep. very good uh, I'm glad to hear that you got yours. I got mine as well um, so we are we're part of the 1 million. Uh, last yeah. week was the third week in a row with more than a hundred thousand people that were vaccinated in Kentucky We're really picking up the pace um, We need to go even higher but that you know give it, given what our supply is that's about as good as we can be. Mm -hmm. kentucky did pass up west virginia and the number of people vaccinated that's good news for us bad news for them um and and the only reason i really bring that up is because we talked about west virginia as doing like a really good job at the very beginning at getting people in long-term care facilities vaccinated but i think Mm -hmm. kentucky kind of saw uh what was going on and and improved and, and are at a point now where they're doing better than just about anybody else or at least among our neighbors so that's that's good to know uh Uh, Something that came up in the news COVID-related is that 41 people were infected in a nursing home this week, which sent five people to the hospital, which this is the first major infection of a long-term care facility since the vaccinations were available. And at this nursing home, 85% of residents were vaccinated. Only 48% of staff were vaccinated, which I think is kind of bad. I don't know Mm -hmm. why those staff are deciding not to get vaccinated. Vaccine hesitancy is not great. Only one of the 71 people who were vaccinated in this long-term care facility were hospitalized uh, versus four of the 13 unvaccinated people. So that just goes to show you uh, the, the power of the vaccines. But I do think it also goes to show the limitations of the vaccines. You know, you're not you have high level of protection from, from the disease, but you can still absolutely get it if you have the if you if you have uh, the vaccine. But if you do, it's likely that you're not going to be hospitalized. Um, so, you know, the, it's good, um, but it doesn't mean that once you get vaccinated, you can just go all the way back to doing everything you were doing before. Uh, you probably should be safe. Um, be smart. Um, and, uh, yeah, wear your mask still just do that. That that's at least one step you can take until the disease has gone everywhere that that's when we can start, kind of start getting back to normal. So, uh, just that's, I thought was a nice anecdote about what, uh, what, the vaccines are going to be able to do for us. So, looking forward to get that second shot in a couple of weeks. I'm sure you are too. Um, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. got, I got the, I got the Moderna. Uh, I heard that one has worse yeah. side effects, so I don't know which one you got. But uh, I got Pfizer. All right. Yeah, yeah. Nobody I know who had Pfizer got bad side effects, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, there you go. Um, and then a couple of non-legislative quick hits to go over. Uh first one, Charles Booker is basically running for United States Senate. In an interview on KET on Sunday, he told Renee Shaw that he was quote strongly considering unquote the race. That means he's in. <laughs> yeah. Basically, uh Leticia, are you, are you excited about Charles Booker running am, for this? I'm very
1: excited.
0: Yeah. Um yeah. he I thought he did a really great job in his race for for Senate last time. I think he built a really strong foundation. Um, you know, I think it's about time we give somebody like Charles Booker a shot, and I mean that in many different ways. Um, he would be the first you know, black person who would be a, a candidate for United States Senate if he got the nomination. And I think he's running a type of race uh, that Democrats need to start running, where he's unapologetic about the things he believes, uh, really wants to put forward uh, the Democratic agenda um, when he's running for Senate, which I think is, is great. We'll see what happens with him. Um, you may hear him on a future show coming up so- soon, so be sure to stay tuned. Uh, and then lastly, <laughs> uh, Lieutenant Governor Jacqueline Coleman is in a bit of hot water over texts to members of the Office of Unemployment Insurance, where she gave names and numbers directly and asked for assistance to get them unemployment insurance. It's hard to say whether she knew there were problems with the UI system in the moment, but but that's a really bad look for people to use power this way, um, basically to get their friends uh, assistance that may not be available to everybody else. Um, I don't know. Did you see the story, Letitia?
1: No, I didn't see
0: it, actually. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I don't know. Uh, people should read it, uh, come to their own conclusions. Um, I, I think it's a bad look, but I also think that, you know, it, it's definitely not as egregious as some things we've seen other elected officials do. Um, and, you know, uh, people in elected position using uh, the, their power to help get things for their friends is not <laughs> a new story, and I think literally everybody is guilty of it on some level if they have an elected position. So... Uh, too bad for her. Hopefully she learns a lesson from this. Um, I, I think she's apologized. I hope she's apologized. Um, and hopefully we're able to move on from it pretty quickly. All right. Letitia, thank you so much for joining us today. This was great fun. Uh, I'm sorry I, I deluged you with all the stuff that the legislature did. I, it, blame them. Blame the Republicans and the legislature for all this.
1: <laughs> yeah, thanks. I learned actually learned a lot uh, in terms of all the bills I did not know of. Yeah. Um, that they passed. In the last two weeks or something
0: so yeah yeah <laughs> well we're, we're always excited to have you on uh to talk and bring your expertise anything you, you want to talk about yourself and ways that people can get connected with you if they're interested in what 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 are the things that you're doing
1: i'm kind of not really connected right now um i'm pretty active on social media but um i'm getting ready for grad school um so if people want to you know follow me on social media um my instagram on facebook um I tend to share a lot of community stuff um, in Louisville and around the state. Um, I'm part of the Black Caucus with the Kentucky Young Democrats, and so getting ready for reorg and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that's um, part of BLM in Louisville. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of right now um, with all the stuff that I was doing this summer um, with organizing. I'm kind of yeah focusing on me and my family in grad school.
0: So. Yeah, well, you're in you're in Lexington, right, for grad school. Is that right?
1: No, I'm, I'm moving back to Louisville. So I'll be at University of Louisville. Yeah. All
0: right. Well, very good. All right. Well, best of luck to you in grad school and we'll be glad to have you back in Louisville here shortly. Uh, but again, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you pinch hitting, pinch hitting for Jasmine while she's away. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Well, let's get to my interview with Jamison Cable. Jamison Cable is the host of the Kentucky History Podcast. His podcast releases shows on a weekly basis, which each showcase a historical event, place, or person with a deep connection to Kentucky. The Kentucky History Podcast has done episodes on the assassination of William Goebel, Bloody Monday, Bloody Harlan, and the Underground Railroad in Kentucky. So in addition to the podcast, Mr. Cable is a teacher at Crab Orchard Elementary School in Lincoln County. So Jameson Cable, welcome to my old Kentucky podcast.
2: Thank you, Robert. I'm very pumped to be here. Longtime listener, first time guest. So, um... Uh, I'm, I'm excited, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a huge fan of your show as well. I guess, you know, I was on your show uh, a couple months ago, both returning the favor and excited to share your great show with all of our listeners as well. So, yeah, absolutely. That's our introduction. Uh, hopefully you heard it. But tell us, you know, in your own words about your podcast, you know, what's it about? Why did you start it? And, you know, what did you hope to accomplish uh, when you started it?
2: So, obviously, it is about Kentucky history. That's the main focus. And, you know, we started it about almost a year and a half ago, and uh, basically it was me and my former colleague, uh, James Pope, um, we got together and kind of wanted to uh, keep working together, even though he'd retired, and said, uh, you know what, let's, let's start a podcast, which he didn't know what a podcast was, I was kind of like the one that had said, okay, this is what it is. But we got to the point where we started recording and, and this and that, and uh, it kind of grown from there, uh, we we really you know, enjoy each other's company, and uh, we like talking about history. And it uh, kind of brings us back to those uh, days out on the recess uh, when we would talk, uh, talk to each other about Kentucky history and this and that. And he's very, you know, had a deep knowledge, so it, it was really good. Um, the podcast, though, yes, you said a lot of the good topics we talk about. Um, you know, I started making more plans as um, we started recording and getting more into it. And then COVID hit. And I was like, you know what? Let's get started on some of these plans. And so sometimes we do have guests on the show, whether it be a author of a historical book or a book from Kentucky, musicians from Kentucky. Um, really try to hit a broad, um, broad spectrum. That podcast host from Kentucky as well. You <laughs> know. If you got that Kentucky connection, you can come come on the show. And then we also started doing like county histories as well. That um, you know, uh, they were just talking about each county. Of course, we've not got to all the counties. There's a lot. Um, <laughs> But, uh, we, we started on like Rockcastle, Lincoln and Garrett, and I've, I've made some connections with some other counties that, uh, we're going to get to here eventually.
0: Yeah. It it is kind of interesting. Like whenever you have an independent podcast, I feel like a lot of them just kind of grow out of conversations that people were already having and kind of give you a good excuse to keep having them or to have them even more in depth. Yeah. So it sounds, sounds kind of the same. Yeah. Jasmine and I, that's how we started as well. So that's uh, yeah, that's very cool. Um, all right. So those of us who grew up in Kentucky, you know, I, I remember myself, I had a year of Kentucky history in the fourth grade and I think that that's standard across the state, but, and I don't know if it still is, but that was, that was it for me. So, you know, I don't know if that was your experience and where did your passion for Kentucky history come from after that?
2: Well, so you're correct. So I, I had the same experience you did. Um, now though it's fifth grade, you're, you're tested in social studies in fifth grade. And I think in, um, uh, eighth grade as well, there's a Kentucky history part of the test. I, I can't, I might not be accurate on that, but fifth grade, you have social studies, and uh, so, some schools like our school has uh, social studies in fourth grade as well. But outside of the educational realm, <laughs> um, whenever I was young, the biggest thing that got me into Kentucky history was we, my, my mom is, is into history a lot too, and me and my brothers uh, have all, always been kind of into history and, and so forth, but we went to like Fort Boonesboro fort harrod uh the local forts around our area and man we just loved going to those places and that kind of you know was the base of the history uh, of our history knowledge or, or experiences and then as i got into like high school and middle school and grew up I, you know the, the kentucky history part kind of probably dipped a little bit i wasn't as into it as much uh, but then i started working at lincoln county in crab orchard with mr pope and that kind of fired it all back up again um you know, I could dive into Crowb Orchard's historical reference or uh, uh, importance of Kentucky, but I won't get too much into that. But, you know, it's a very kind of a hot spot of Kentucky history and Lincoln County as well. So, you know, we always wanted to go to Fort Logan, but they never had it built. And, you know, they've actually started rebuilding it now. Um, and it's, it's, you know, centered right in Lincoln County. So that kind of has fueled everything as well back up, I guess, um, In that sense, you know, I guess it was kind of a pendulum, if you want to say. It was really, really big when I was younger, kind of, you know, not so much. But as I've gotten older... It's become a
0: lot more important, I guess. Yeah, Lincoln County, one of the three originals. That's uh that's fun. Right. Yeah. So do you know who it's named after? Benjamin Lincoln. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln wasn't born yet when they made Lincoln County. He wasn't even a So no. yeah, that's uh, <laughs> listen, I got I've got Kentucky trivia. I can do that pretty well. But yeah, one of the things that I remember, so I took Kentucky history in the fourth grade and I did. I learned a lot yep. about that and I you know, I went to I went to all these sports. It's a long I don't know, did you grow up in Rock Castle County or are you uh, Yeah, yeah. So I grew up okay. in Rock Castle. So So you grew grew up in Rockcastle. So you're close. I went to all those forts too. And that's a longer drive for me because we're coming from Louisville. (laughs) Uh, And I have like one of those books that was like a stamp book where you could get like a – if you went to one of those places, they give you a stamp with like the date that you went on there. So I was trying to get all the stamps. Uh, you know, one of the ones that the only state park that's kind of close to our, our house is Tom Sawyer State Park in Louisville. And I never uh, even I never got that stamp, which is really stupid. It was like 20 <laughs> minutes from my house. You know, I've got like got like Carter Caves out, you know, in eastern Kentucky. <laughs> but I don't have, you know, uh, Tom Sawyer. Yeah. So that, anyways, that I remember that too. But one of the things I remember as well was going to college, and when I was in college, I took some Kentucky history, Kentucky political history, and then Appalachian history classes in learning, like, remembering, like, wow, this is a lot different than the stories they told us in the fourth grade. And, you know, you tackle a lot of these things. So you tackled not? Bloody Harlan and assassination of cool. governors and stuff like that. So, you know, uh, I guess, you know, uh, did you ever have anything like that pick up where you were remembered a story from when you were younger, but then you were like, "I want to tell this in a way that a lot of people might not know about it because maybe they didn't take history in college."
2: Well, that's 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 a good good you bring that up because that's I guess that's another big motive of the show is to talk about these you know, events that people don't know about at all, and it's so relevant to Kentucky. And you're like, you know, the assassination of Goble. I mean, you could ask I don't know twenty people in Kentucky, maybe. Maybe five of them would know, unless they've you know been listening to the podcast. But yeah, it, those kind of events just don't just go by, and people don't even don't even realize they were they were happening. And significance of of, of Kentucky in the you know the nation is pretty big, especially in the early eighteen hundreds. But those kind of things definitely pop up, and I'm like, you know what? Nobody knows about this, and it's a compelling story. It needs to be told, man. That's what yeah. history is telling those stories.
0: Yeah, I, um, I, you know, we, I guess you record your shows a little bit in advance, maybe like a week or two, and then you release them. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, I remember listening like on in early January to your sh- episode about uh, I guess it was something around the assassination of William Goebbels, uh, the Secretary of State. Uh, what was that guy's Kevin name? Kevin Powers? Yes, yeah. Powers. Powers. Yeah. yeah, you didn't call him yeah. Kevin Powers till the end of the show. So, uh, anyways, uh, I remember reading, listening to that on near uh, in early January, and it was about the storming of the Kentucky Capitol. And I was yeah. listening to it, and I was like, "Well, th- that happened yesterday," you know. So it is kind of. <laughs> You know, yes. it's it's kind of harrowing and it's kind of sad, but it does. It talks about how, you know, a lot of times we look at the stuff that's going on around us and thinking it's totally unprecedented. When it's, re- when it's really not, this has all happened before uh, for a lot of the same reasons. So, uh, you yes. know, that's that's one of the ways that, you know. I,
2: I remember you mentioning that, and that was a little big, you know, foot in the mouth. Because I, I, I remember <laughs> saying it. Now, I think we recorded it like in the late December, but it came out like January 2nd. And I was like – I remember saying like, you know, people people think politics are bad now. Nobody's storming the Capitol. Yeah. This was crazy 100 years ago. Yeah. And like four days later, it's like, oh. Gosh, yeah, that, yeah.
0: That that's very ironic. But I mean, at the same time, very topical uh, and is something that, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. that's that's something. Is, so we've it talked
2: about. Th- contested contested election, all that stuff. I mean, it was it was it was heated right here in Kentucky.
0: Yeah, partisan. Uh, really, the emergence of a strong partisanship and uh, yeah, like people very, being very upset about a contested election. And uh, mm. yeah, except for. Probably some actual shenanigans going on back then, I don't know about, about <laughs> yeah, yeah. today yeah uh all right so we we've talked to, referenced a few of the shows, and you know everybody can go I encourage everybody to go uh look into your archives and see about the topics that they're most interested in, but from your perspective, do you have a favorite episode of the show that you think people should really check out?
2: um there's a few, of course, I guess if I had to pick one out, um they're all i, I guess the most ones, the best ones, and i I don't know if I mentioned this either. Um, oftentimes, you know, if you listen to history podcasts and, and not, I, you know, nothing against any kind of podcast out there. Um, but the ones I sometimes stumble upon are very just, like, I don't want to say boring, but like it's like, you know, on 1820, this happened. And and that's one goal me and Mr. Pope kind of wanted to have is not just to be this constant. This happened on this date. then this happened. And, you know, Daniel Boone came to Kentucky and this and that. We don't want it to be that boring i guess just to say it that way um so we, when we have good episodes we we pretty much know like you know after we're done like that was a good episode you know we were very interactive it wasn't just historical fact there was a good discussion um there was one of the first ones we did about uh, bourbon in kentucky was was a pretty good episode um if i'm going to talk about one individual i highly recommend uh, listening to the john g fee episode um very underrated kentuckian historical kentuckian um uh, so good, And, of course, I went down that rabbit hole of um, Gobel, the Gobel assassination, so I'm pretty interested in all that stuff, but uh, that's just been my own personal, I guess, pet, if you want, you want to call it that way. But I, I've, I've dug deep, and I've got another book about Gobel I'm reading, so, yeah, yeah, there's more to come on that.
0: <laughs> all right, yeah, well, I mean, it's a, it's a serious topic that not that many people know about, like you mentioned, so, mm-hmm. I mean, the more the merrier. I don't think I listened to the John G. Fee episode, so I'll definitely check that one out myself, so that's mm-hmm. a good one to listen to. Um, on the flip side of that, is there a topic that you haven't covered yet on the podcast at all, but but that you hope to at some point in the near future?
2: Um, well, we got a good one that will be coming out hopefully in the next month or so. I actually got a book uh, from Joe Castle out in Ashland, Kentucky, in Boyd County about the Ashland tragedy. You, are you familiar with that? I am
0: not. What is the Ashland tragedy?
2: Oh, well, so it's it's a it's a big thing it happened like about ten years after the Civil War. Um, in, in Ashland, obviously, um, but t- three kids were killed and murdered, and it took a big uproar, big uproar uh, militia got involved. The governor of the state, i think it was uh, i'm thinking of Beckner maybe uh, actually said that if he had to, he would come kill everybody in Boyd County. oh to man, settle this
0: <laughs> it's pretty crazy yeah um, that would that would put a, that would have ended uh, you know my family lineage, so i'm glad he didn't have to do that yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, so it, it's a very compelling, and I'm just now getting the book. Uh, uh, Joe uh, Castle sent me the book um, just this past weekend, and uh, it's something uh, we're going to be talking about soon for sure. We're going to try to, of course, get Joe to come on and talk about it because he's definitely going to be the expert. Um, I, if you want to talk more things that I want to cover, um, of course, more about Bloody Harlan. There's a lot more. To, we just kind of grazed the surface on that episode. Um, Henry Bibb is another kind of person, I guess, that people probably don't know as much about. Um, I did a little video on him, you know, a little, like two or three minute video about uh, his life. But he wrote a book that um, uh, he's an ex- he's a escaped slave, just a little context there. But uh, he wrote a book about his life and his adventures. Um, so I'm going to read it uh, and kind of talk about him some, too. So, I mean, there's many. There's so much more. I mean, there's, uh, you know. It, there's so much, I couldn't even, you know, Renfro Valley uh, it's something close to home here that uh, I would want to talk about, but yeah. Yeah, hist- it go on for days.
0: history goes on forever, and, and that's the nice thing about having an independent podcast is you can literally do whatever you want. So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. looking forward to hearing all of those episodes, so that's that's very cool. You know, one of the things that's kind of interesting about your show is, you know, you have you and Mr. Pope both, but you, you stay Pretty neutral on political issues uh, on the show, uh, which is absolutely right. But you know, you don't really shy away from political topics. Um, so mm-hmm. you know, I'm just interested in hearing you uh, talk about th- that approach, uh, the approach to the history of politics. And like we said, like things kind of echo and, and rhyme uh, in terms of today's hist- today's events in, in history. So how do you how do you go about uh, approaching to- politics on your show?
2: Well, you, you say we, we try, we do try to stay neutral. <laughs> um, I, I'm probably better at it than Mr. Pope. I, I do have to reel him in sometimes. <laughs> he gets on, he gets on some heaters there, and, and you know, uh, you know, everybody has their right to their opinion. You know, I've, uh, we've had people reach out before and say like, you know, you know, that, you are know, not looking at it right, or or whatever it may be, and it's like, you know, we're just interpreting what we see. It's nothing. You know, don't take it personal. If you can't take it personal, don't listen. Or if you have to take it personal, don't listen if you don't want to. Um, it, it's not; it's to each its own. Um, but as far as like political, the political dynamic of of history, because they play, you know, the riots or the storming of the Capitol in 1900 was political. It was politically motivated. It was it was 100 a political thing. You know, we talked about Bloody Lo- or Ble- Bloody Monday mm-hmm. in uh, uh, Louisville. That was politically motivated. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no way. To, no way to kind of dress it up. However, one thing that, you know, I, I, I guess I understand and I would encourage anybody who's looking at history to understand is like the politics of today have almost nothing to do with the politics of a hundred years ago. And I, what I mean by that is the parties, like you could say the democratic party today isn't the same as the democratic party five years ago, 10 years ago. So if we're going back a hundred years ago, they're not even recognizable. And same with the Republican Party. They're not those. The, their values have changed. Their their uh, desires, their agendas changed. You know, a hundred times over. Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever you're looking at history, like you know, William Goble, he was a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caleb Powers was a uh, Republican. Uh, uh, William Taylor, who was the other governor who won the re- what, uh, won the race, but then all the other shenanigans happened. He was a Republican. Mm-hmm. That the whole shenanigans began because Kentucky was a Democratic-controlled um, uh, uh, state, I guess, and um, the legislator, the Democrats, didn't like it when a Republican won the governorship for the first time. So then all this other stuff happened. Right. But those those Democrats and Republicans aren't the Democrats and Republicans of today. You know, yeah. The Whig Party. You know that party didn't even ex- doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> um, however, though. We talk about those issues, like with the issues with um, the bloody, bloody Louisville or Bloody Monday that happened in Louisville. Those issues were based on immigration.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, immigration is still an issue today, and it will be a hundred years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in that sense, you have to address those issues in some sort of form. Now, do we have to say, you know, uh, you know, immigration? You know, do we have to get into the technical, political agendas of immigration today? No, not so much. But we do have to say, hey, look, this was happening 100 years ago. Are, mm-hmm. are, are we any different now? You know, to make those points, those connections. Yeah. Um, you know, do we need to watch what we were doing? Of course, because this has happened before. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and the the issues that are uh, rooted in the past... Um, they definitely have uh, things that happen in the future because of them. And, and, you know, I do think that there's a lot to be said for learning about history so you can figure out, like, why does immigration work today the way that it does? And, and like, going back into history and hearing stuff about how, you know, how, how uh, y- you know, prejudice against immigra- immigrants in the early 19th century or, yeah, and into the early 20th century – uh, really, really impacts the way that that uh, that issue plays out today, and, and you know those connections are there. Um, I don't think it's it's super important for you to draw everybody's attention directly to them. They're not that hard to pick up on, uh, and 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 yeah, it, uh, the same thing with political parties. Uh, you know, one of the things that I think is so interesting is you know um, the way that Kentucky's po- you know partisanship has changed over time. Uh, everybody in Kentucky has mm-hmm. always been pretty conservative. Not everybody, uh, you know, present company <laughs> included. But uh, you know, uh, the the, the, the Kentucky has always been a pretty pretty conservative state but the Republican and Democratic shift has been pretty significant but there's always been Republicans down in the London Corbin area and whenever uh-huh. you know the global assassination or all that stuff was happening all those Republicans moved the capital to London uh, and, and, <laughs> yeah. and kind of how how all that happened uh, how that the Civil War impacted all of that and how that all happened from mm-hmm. there yeah. you know again uh, I think that learning about the specific events on a podcast or something like that is super useful um, so that you have that basis mm-hmm. of knowledge that you then you can like use to draw uh, your own your, your own lines uh, to what go today and, and you know I think I, I do it and I know conservatives do it too and being rooted in our own history um, gives us the way a way to like talk intelligently about the issues that are going on today so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah absolutely you and Mr Pope both are are teachers by trade uh, yeah and you know obviously uh, teaching is something that you do on the show so tell us a little bit about how your trade influences the way that you go about doing the show. Mm-hmm.
2: so, so we try in a way to kind of i guess talk talk in a way that it is our classroom. you know there's not kids in there or there's not, they're not listeners in there who can raise their hand and do all those like, those kind of things, and we can be like, oh, no hush, you know, anything like that. <laughs> it's more of you know it's more of like you get feedback from on on social media and that sort of thing uh, and you know, people bring up topics, and we uh try to cover those topics if we have the resources to kind of delve into it, of course. You know we can't cover everything in you know a year's time. You know it takes time to to uh, get the facts and things that are kind of make the points. But uh, you know we want people to learn too. We want to make those connections, as you said. You know that uh, you know that happened a hundred years ago, but yet you know why is it still happening today? Have we really learned from history? Uh, sadly, not much. <laughs> but uh, you know history does tend to repeat itself. So maybe if we're more prepared this time,
0: yeah, it won't
2: be as, it won't be as bad or as devastating. Um, and of course. In any situation, um, I, I can tell you a story. Uh, when I was in college, I took a, um, a Kentucky history class and an Appalachian uh, a literature class, actually. And those two classes were so influ- influential to me because my instructors were so passionate about it. Um, and I, I feel so, I, I can never remember my Kentucky history uh, teachers in college's name he was so good he was so passionate about it and i've seen him on kut time and time <laughs> again and i can never remember his name but he was so good at it and those those teachers that were passionate just like uh, me and mr popar um really help you learn more when you got passion behind it and anything you want to learn if the person that's teaching it to you has passion um it's going to uh it's going to it's going to bring you out as a student a lot better um and to you know you talk about I guess making that connection to the past um, in education. You know, I'm going to be a big supporter of education, definitely public education. Um, but when we think about the importance of learning from the past, you know, I have this kind of theory in my head, and it's I would I would hope it's kind of supported, and it makes a lot of sense. And I've been doing all this research about the early formations of, of Kentucky and the governors of the first you know ten, fifteen governors of Kentucky. Some of them came in, and a priority was education. However, nothing ever really got done. you know like the first ten you know i I'm thinking off the top of my head here. I think the 15th governor might have been Letcher, um, he was the first governor who actually installed some sort of public education, and you think you know you think about, about Kentucky as an education, you know we're not high on the totem pole Mm-mm. and uh, it doesn't look like that's getting any better. <laughs> Uh, so it's like, you know, again, even now, 100, 200 years later, Kentucky isn't, still doesn't want to make that investment into public education. And I know there's probably arguments on both sides, but yeah. you know, that's kind of one of the things, another reason to get out there and kind of support, hey, we need to learn about this stuff.
0: Yeah, that, um, that's very interesting uh, in that. I mean, and I don't know if this is – this is probably repeated in a lot of other states, but, you know, mm. uh, our the leaders of the state forever, it sounds like – have always had big dreams about education and the things they want to accomplish with Mm -hmm. it, uh, but have never really been able to achieve them because of lots of roadblocks in the way. Uh, And that's a story... I mean, and I think really the story of the education system in Kentucky is a story of uh, people trying and failing and every once in a while breaking through to a little bit of success... Um, that's short lived. Uh, and, and you know, I guess the only thing to do is to keep trying <laughs> everyone's <laughs> may, maybe we'll hit one of those breakthroughs sooner rather than later. Maybe it'll stick this time. Uh, but, but that's yeah. a, yeah, that's, that's where it is. All right. Uh, so your show is about history. Our show is about current events, mm-hmm. but, but those things are often echoes of each other. Um, and, and you know, uh, I know you talked about this already, but uh, in mm-hmm. a, in a short and sweet way, from your perspective, how can learning about history benefit people who want to follow current events today?
2: Well, yeah, I probably I probably should have um, used my uh, Kentucky education plug for that one, um, <laughs> <laughs> because because it's relevant, I guess you know that would be the best way to think about it. It even though it might have happened you know hundred years ago, like we said, you know history repeats itself um, in ways you don't want it to, um, and let's take and I, you know, I'm using this as a comparison. You know, you think about the you're storming of the Capitol now compared to you know 100 years ago um you know i I honestly don't know if william gobel was the only one that was killed um as far as i know he was um you know and now even you know uh, in january you know sadly more people died from that Mm -hmm. um and and, you know i I feel personally it was very easily preventable um other people may not uh, but you know if people would have thought you know 100 years ago when there was this election in kentucky Uh, People got really fired up. They 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 actually you know roused people up. They went to the mountains. They went to the west. They went everywhere and brought these people up to protest against this uh, with you know with their guns with their force. And the governor was killed, you know. And typically, and you if you would have if you know people would have looked at this a hundred years ago and said you know what what happened after that after um, after uh, Goble was killed. It was kind of like everybody took a step back and said, "Oh, you know, oh crap, what did we do?" You know, all these people, all these Republicans at the time that rabble, you know, rabble roused all these people up. You know, was like, you know, you know we kind of might have, we might have been the cause of this, you know, in some sort of form. And it kind of whatever cause that people may have had, it always tends when it, it when it rises up to violence, it always tends to deflate their cause. Mm-hmm. And it happens many you know many times uh, throughout history. You know, you think of these people who who were against something, they rose up, they got violent, they didn't overthrow who they thought they were going to overthrow or they didn't get what they wanted, and their cause goes away. Mm-hmm. And that's just a lesson to learn when it comes to, you know, violence isn't going to solve what you really want it to solve. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just going to cause more problems. I was going to say, like, in, uh, um, in Bloody Louisville, like, you know, they, 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 or Bloody Monday, I keep saying Bloody Louisville, but Bloody Monday, which happened in Louisville, um, they we're all against these immigrants and they all rallied up to stop these immigrants. And they, they, you know, fought them and burnt down their houses and all this kind of stuff. And this was all from the know nothing party. Well, like not even months after all that happened, the, the know nothing party didn't exist in Louisville anymore. You know, they did all this. They, they caused all this chaos and then the, their party even goes away. It doesn't even exist anymore within months after that, because what they did was so bad and they realized, man, that was, that was not good. And then Louisville ends up suffering for it for mm-hmm. you know the following you know decades because you know who, you know who's going to go to Louisville? Who's going to immigrate to Louisville if all, if this bad stuff happened there? Mm-hmm. Um, so that I guess that's a that's a connection. I guess yeah. I hope that answered
0: the question. It, it, it does, yeah. You know, it is kind of interesting how people who do stuff like this, this violent stuff, uh, they they do they don't always persevere or they don't always uh, you know benefit from it. With uh, I don't think the Republicans had another governor until like Louis B. Nunn in the '60s after William Goebbels, yeah. and yeah, yeah. And, and then yeah. yeah, the '1960s, and then yeah, the Know Nothing Party. Just totally disappeared after being very successful in Louisville and winning the mayorship, and yeah. I think twice. Uh, oh,
2: yeah. yeah, they dominated.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they, they took over. But uh, then, but then the ways in which those that violence really does uh, echo, th- uh, you know, cause problems for for decades afterwards. Yeah, uh, I think that those are yeah. those are very good things to know.
2: All right. Well, if I can, yeah, go ahead. Well, if I can, uh, <laughs> I want to get back on my education, harp. Oh, please.
0: sure, sure, sure. Uh,
2: <laughs> So, and that's uh, you know that's the connection. You know, you look back in history, and you see that like Kentucky never invested in education to the extent, say, say maybe other states did. Um, and you know, I, I feel personally that Kentucky has suffered over that. Um, and, and like people now to, in today's uh, political environment, or just in general, even in education, there's people in education who like have this big push um, for technology in school, which is a great idea. You should have technology in school, of course. However, it, I, I feel like it's misguided. You know, the, the, the push for technology is let's get technology in kids' hands, which is very true, but the thing is, my kid, my two-year-old, she knows how to operate a um, iPhone. You know she knows how to operate technology to an extent. My eight, my six-year-old, they know how to operate technology. It's not getting it operated. that's not hard. Kids learn very easily. It's getting them to create it, mm-hmm. because that's where you know we are in a state or in a, in a country. You know, creating technology, mm-hmm. and we can funnel all this money and have every kid have a laptop, an iPad, an iPhone, uh, smart boards, all that kind of stuff, and funnel millions and even billions of dollars into technology. But it's it's not it's not it's misguided. You know, using technology is easy. It's creating technology that we need to invest in, and that's that's one of the things. Like if if the legislatures took that idea and said, you know, let's, let's create or invest in creating technology. Mm -hmm. Then we have a, a movement of Kentucky education to where we move in a good direction as opposed to where we've kind of done the same thing over and over time and time again of saying, you know what, education's important, wink, wink, Mm -hmm. but, um, we're just going to give you some scraps. You yeah. know, or we're going to give you this, and that's really not what we need, I guess. Um, yeah. I know that's probably a tangent off of the podcast.
0: Well, well, no, it's not. I mean, and actually it's very relevant to what we're going to be talking about on the actual show, which is uh, they did finish the budget, yeah. and uh, yeah, they spent several million dollars on renovating a hotel, uh, but not so much on, on education. <laughs> so well, there you go. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right. Well, uh, you know, we usually ask people what they can do to support the show, but I will just go ahead and tell everybody, however you're listening to this just open the app on your phone or your computer, and then go to search, and then type in "Kentucky History Podcast," and you can find it that way. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to plug?
2: Um, well, yeah, of course. Uh, there's al- there's always something to plug, right? Sure. <laughs> um, you know, we're on the social media, uh, mm-hmm. of course, um, Twitter and Facebook at KY History Pod. Um, I'm expecting a, a a, Con a, a, bump, man. Every time you've interacted <laughs> with me, man, on Twitter, it's like, I can get a bump, yeah. uh, five or 10 new li- two followers. However, yeah, I, I do. I'm on the Twitter, but there's not much, there's uh, there's not much there, I guess, as far as what I post on there. Um, uh, my personal account is at Jameson Cable. Um, we, we, I do do more on the Instagram, um, with the pictures, historical fiction figures, and that's at Kentucky history podcast. Um, we do have a YouTube channel where we lo- upload the audio to uh, Kentucky history channel. Just search that into YouTube. Um, and we do, I do do new vi- videos of historical Kentucky people or people that are connected to Kentucky as well. And we have a Patreon, all that stuff. But like you said, whatever you're, you find uh, my old Kentucky podcast on, uh, just type in Kentucky history podcast and you'll find it.
0: All right. Um, yeah. Well, perfect. Uh, and if it, if it ain't about Kentucky, it's not worth the hill of beans. Uh that's thank, right. that's Yeah, right. that's <laughs> that's right. James and Cable, thank you for being on our show today.
2: I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. All right. Thank you very much for listening. You can connect to us on Facebook or Twitter at my old KY Pod. You can subscribe to us at the podcasting app of your choice. You can join our Patreon. You can just look at us up there. And I hate doing the end part because Jasmine usually does it and I'm sure I miss some stuff, so Go back and listen to an old show to see what I missed. All right. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.